0: SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, Sorry, it's been a minute since we talked to you. Uh, Long story short, we recorded an episode... Um, And then slowly but surely, um, everything that we talked about became null and void because uh, college sports looks quite a bit different than uh, it did a couple of weeks ago. But uh, Joe Lonergan, Eric Henry here with you, excited to be talking about uh, the perspective of a 2020 football season, at least in some form or another. Eric, uh, how's Florida holding up for you?
1: Oh, we're hanging in there like the rest of the country, you know, and I I, I will piggyback off what you said in that, you know, in the time that we recorded that last episode, seemingly the announcement of Shador Sanders heading to FAU and the rest of the things that we talked about suddenly weren't as pertinent as the things we'll talk about on this episode of the Conference USA podcast. Absolutely.
0: So I guess with that, then let's just jump right into it and uh, let's start off with the news that uh, Old Dominion has officially decided to cancel their football season, uh, along with UConn, of course, and the entire Mac. They are now the uh, 14th school to uh, say there's going to be no football season and no fall sports all together um which obviously kind of throws a wrench into the plans of all the other COSA teams which we'll uh, touch on a little bit later in the show but um a i mean i think this is particularly disappointing because i think we were all kind of looking forward to how old dominion was going to rebound from last year so that definitely would have been interesting to see amidst all the chaos surrounding this season and uh you know, B. I think we were all kind of interested to see how uh, how the new stadium would look and how that would kind of pan out for them. But um, you know, I, I think I can kind of understand where they're coming from. I think there's um, just way too much going on to you know even make this happen. Um, but uh, you know, trying to implement like a social distancing plan when you have a new stadium, particularly, would have been uh, something of a headache. So I don't blame them for making this decision. But obviously, I think you know. Casual observers of COSA football and the Old Dominion diehards alike are are definitely going to be missing them uh, this fall, if there even is a season in a couple of weeks here.
1: Absolutely. First things first, I want to give kudos to the folks at Old Dominion, not necessarily for the decision that they made. You know, time will tell whether or not that was the right decision. I, I don't think, given the scenario that we're in, I don't think it necessarily can be a wrong decision. However, the reason I want to give them kudos, specifically President John R. Broderick and Athletic Director Wood Sealake is because they've been really transparent throughout the entire process, Joe. I don't know if you've had a chance to maybe catch up and see some of their statements or just, you know, and, and I'm not critiquing away any Conference USA program, really any college football program or college program in general chooses to go about disseminating information, but they, I just got to give them kudos because the entire step of the way, they have been really, really transparent in terms of saying, Hey, what would a missed season look like for us? And they've talked about finances and talked about things like you said, which they opened up their new stadium last year. They were able to get the first season, in that new renovated stadium, but now this year transition to season two and a new head coach, things of that nature. So I just really appreciated how transparent they were as far as saying, hey, if we don't get football, the side effects will be X, Y, and Z to the rest of our revenue. So I got to give them credit there. That aside, yeah, I mean, you know, completely agree with you as far as, you know, I think we all were looking forward to, I know I was, FIU was scheduled to head to Norfolk on 919 and I was really looking forward to getting to see the new stadium for the first time, you know, from what I saw last year on TV, it's a beautiful facility. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, and, and, Joe, if you remember, we had the uh, recruiting expert, unfortunately his name is escaping me right now. I apologize for the guests coming on, but one of the things when we asked him in terms of an area within conference USA that he saw being the next fertile recruiting ground, he mentioned that, you know, kind of um, I, I almost said the tri-state area. I'm, I'm not, 100 percent sure what they call that area right there. But um kind of like, yeah, I think it's like the Hampton Roads and in that area of Virginia that um that ODU is in. And he said that that's really fertile recruiting ground. So I think we, you know, I know I was certainly excited to see what progress that old Dominion would make with a a, a treasure, excuse me, a true freshman quarterback or, or um, you know, he's a red shirt freshman. I apologize. Redshirt freshman in Hayden Wolf. Kid uh, out of Venice, Florida, you know, started the final three games to see the progress that he would make, uh, as well as getting Eric Kuma and guys like that back, and a hell of a defense. I mean, Keon White, I, I think you know, if you're a Keon White or Lawrence Garner or guys like that, you got to wonder what their future holds. But we all were excited to see what ODU would do this year on the gridiron, and unfortunately, at least in the immediate future, being fall of 2020, we will not get that.
0: Yeah, it's obviously disappointing that uh, we're not going to get to see how this uh, program has moved on uh, since the Bobby Wilder firing and and all that. Or not firing, but since those two uh, parted ways. But um, regardless, it's going to be interesting to uh, see the future of Old Dominion's uh, Program since obviously they're in a uh, small group of of programs who have made the decision to not play, and it's going to be interesting to see what the effects are of that come 2021 and beyond. Um, But obviously, kind of the main disappointment that comes from uh, this scenario where we don't have a lot of college football teams playing in the fall uh, means that these players don't necessarily have, you know, somewhere to go because, well, rather, they don't necessarily have the best situation at home and the environment at college certainly would have been better than that, if that makes sense, uh, which leads us into sure. talking about the uh, hashtag we want to play movement, um, which in a nutshell is a group of student athletes advocating for the uh, college football season to go ahead in some form or fashion. So that, um they can more or less do what I just said. They can move on and go to college and, uh, you know, try and, uh, you know, accomplish what they wanted to accomplish from an academic and an athletic standpoint. And this is kind of where you can see both sides of the argument there. Um, you know, when you talk about playing the season, obviously there's huge safety concerns and all that, um, both with the concept of having fans and without having fans for these players. Um, however, you, you also have to consider, you know, to do a lot of these players even have, you know, a safe environment to go back to, which um, based on some of the things that have been in the media, when you look at, um, you know, notable players like Trevor Lawrence, who have been talking about this movement, it doesn't seem like that's the case in many cases.
1: Yeah, Joe, it's interesting. You know, I, I want to kind of bounce some things off you here. And, you know, you're, you're an incredibly intelligent uh, individual. So I kind of want to get your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is what i do guys i butter up my co-host on here and off here um there's there's two parts to this right so i completely understand the perspective of wanting to play football this is what these guys do they play football and when you've been doing it from the time you're eight nine years old through high school and you manage to earn a college scholarship or you're on a college roster at the fbs level you want to play football plain and simple but two part argument here. I think we all can admit that (laughs) the brain isn't exactly fully finished developing between 18 and 22 and you don't make the best decisions, whether that's you're a collegiate athlete or you're just a collegiate student in general. I know I made my fair share of dumb decisions in college. Um, With that being said, Joe, I want to take and and I'm sorry for not having run this ahead of time with you, but I just want to take a macro level look at this. If you look back probably about maybe 10 years ago, I don't know if it's even been that long. The NFL was sued by former players for concussions, right? And concussion related issues. I'll say that. And the crux of the the lawsuit was that the players were not given full information. They didn't didn't have the the full scope of the, the risks and the dangers that came with playing football, and I'm paraphrasing here, guys, so please forgive me for, you know, don't take this as verbatim, but they felt they didn't get the full information in terms of the risks and the health and what the league knew about concussions, right? And the league had to, the NFL had to dole out a huge check. Joe, do you not see some sort of parallels here? I'm not saying that they, the college players don't know, but at the same point in time, we don't I, I, never mind, I guess I am saying it. We don't know what the full scope of you know and of of getting coronavirus is. And the last thing I want is to have players out there signing eighteen through through twenty two year olds signing waivers that are signing away their rights for whatever could happen. Joe, I don't know if you saw the the story again. I'm sorry for not clearing this with you ahead of time. There was a young man who was, I believe he was a defensive lineman at Houston who said that he contracted COVID during the off season and now is having heart issues and has no idea what his future is. We don't know what the long lasting effects of coronavirus are for some people who get it, they recover and and they're fine for other people. You know, I heard Von Miller of the Denver Broncos um, saying that, Hey, you know, he was still dealing. This was a couple months ago. He was still dealing with issues from, you know, in terms of respiratory issues from dealing with it. So um, I just want to bounce it off you, Joe. I mean, I'm sure you kind of got the parallel I was drawing there. I just don't think it's in the best interest. And by all means, look, I want there to be football. You know, we have a vested interest in there being football, but I, I get that we want to play. But I don't think 18 to 22 year olds can necessarily make the best decisions with a situation like this. And I will use the concussion lawsuit as a as an example.
0: You make a lot of really good points, Eric, and I do agree with you that I think while this is definitely coming from, you know, a good place more or less, in that they're trying to, you know, basically give these uh, these student athletes who don't have a great home situation a better alternative. I do think that, you know, I agree with you in that they are not really considering the full scope of the situation. And that's a good parallel with the uh, concussion situation in that you're right. We don't know what the long-term effects of, uh, you know, having coronavirus and and all that really are. So I think really this is just kind of coming from a a place of emotion. Um, You know, I I used to kind of laugh when, um, you know, athletes or whatever would kind of try to defend them acting out in one way or another by saying something comes from a a place of emotion. But this is a case where it's true. You know, the prospect of not getting to play a season and accomplish this thing that they've been working so hard for uh, over the course of, you know, in many cases, their entire lives is scary. And they're trying to do something to, you know, express themselves and, you know, do everything they can to, to make it happen. But, you know, I think this is just one of those situations where, you know, you have to kind of step outside of yourself and, you know, think about, is this really the best option for the greater good? And this is not to, you know, make this a a discussion that, you know, expands beyond college football because it's a college football podcast, but this is kind of a defining moment in humanity that only comes along every couple of decades, right? Like, we have to handle this the right way or we're going to be stuck in a bad situation for a lot longer than we want to be. And unfortunately, the right step might be to just, you know, let the powers that be make the decision to cancel football. I'm not saying I want the season to be canceled. I absolutely want to see football. But I think, you know, I there's parts of the argument for we want to play that aren't being taken into consideration. So I do think that is a good parallel that you drew with the uh, with the concussion situation there so I'm interested to see you know how this continue to plays out
1: yeah yeah I mean and, and like you said none of us are here rooting against football I know there's some weird narrative that that people in the media are rooting against football it's not the case um but yeah I just think that the full scope of things and and I completely agree with you Joe when you say that this is a seminal moment in history not to again take this out of the realm of football but you know we have to get a hold of this thing and that's the fact of the matter. And one of the the great things about, you know, this podcast is we Twitter on the fly. Uh, if you haven't noticed, Joe and I tend to do that a lot. Uh, just got a, a tweet, Brett, uh, a tweet, Joe from Brett McMurphy of stadium, who said at 7 16 PM, it is now seven thirty four on the East coast here uh, as we're taping this. So about 18 minutes ago, conference USA schools still planning to play this fall, even with league member ODU canceling fall season sources told stadium, see USA ADs met today and are holding firm on playing in the fall. So Looks like that's where we're at. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of
0: CUSA fans who are happy about that. And, you know, me, as someone who, you know, didn't have plans set in stone to, you know, attend a game in person anyway, I'll have something to watch. Great. (laughs) I think you have to kind of look at it from this perspective, though, if you're one of these people who, you know, for some reason thinks that members of the sports media are. Rooting for football or sports in general to be canceled. Let me make this comparison. My fiance and I just made the decision to uh, postpone our our wedding reception um, to sometime in 2021. Once we have a better idea of when this whole situation is going to be cleared up. Part of the reason we made that decision was we don't want to be responsible for you know doing this thing where we're putting our you know, loved ones and people that we care about at risk of of contracting COVID, all because we wanted to do something fun. Does that make sense? I think a lot of us within the sports media space, you know, feel a sense of ownership that like we we don't want our job to be the reason that these athletes or these fans or whatever contract this life threatening illness. You know what I mean? Like it's not a matter of you know, we want sports to be canceled for some political reason or whatever it is. We just don't want to be part of the problem, right? Like, I feel like that's that's the way I
1: understand it. 100% agree, Joe. And that's the exact way I look at it. And really quick, you know, because I know we've kind of gone this topic uh, long. I just want to make one other quick point about we want to play. I, Unless I've missed something, Joe, and you can correct me if you've seen something, I don't know where the idea came unless some school said it that, if there's no college football season, you're just going to send the kids home. I was under the impression that they are student athletes, which means they would have to attend a class as long as their university is having classes on campus. So I didn't know where this idea that all the kids were going to go home. I assumed that they would just stay on campus, continue to practice uh, and and be students. <laughs> but you know, if I miss something, by all means. Yeah, I think the issue there is just a lot
0: of these schools are converting to fully online curriculums, which I don't necessarily blame them for, but then you kind of run into the issue of like, you know, of course, like you want these student athletes to put school first. It's, it's in the name, like you said, but you know, if they're just taking online classes, I definitely think it's, it's, I'm not making a point one way or the other, but it's going to be significantly harder for coaches to, you know, for lack of a better term, babysit these these student athletes if they're not in class all day sure sure of course so i think that's that's just one interesting aspect of this um that we're just gonna have to see how it plays out because this is (laughs) at the risk of sounding like a you know a cliche from a you know a car commercial over the last six months we are truly in unprecedented times so it's interesting to see how this is gonna gonna go (laughs) um so with that, let's, let's get to some actual football news here uh, from over the last couple of weeks. Um, FAU, of course, had a uh, solid couple of seasons here under uh, the leadership of Chris Robison at QB1. Um, he has actually been removed from the roster. And uh, to my knowledge, Eric, we haven't gotten a concrete reason as to uh, why he's no longer with the program, correct?
1: You are 100% correct. Willie Taggart would not say why.
0: Interesting, and obviously we're not going to sit here and speculate as to why he's off the team when we have no knowledge of the situation. So uh, let's just focus on you know what this means for the quarterback position at FAU and and that offense under Willie Taggart. Um, what are their options at quarterback now that Chris Robinson's not the guy?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, by all account, by all accounts, for all intents and purposes, Chris Robinson is not a part of this program right now. Uh, It's not a situation where for those of you who who follow conference USA football, he had been suspended a couple of times in his career. I am from what I have been told from not a suspension situation for any, there is not a real anticipation that he'll be back with FAU. However, in the event that he is back, it's not going to be him being reinstated. You know, he is, he is not a part of this football team right now. So with that aside, What other options? It's going to be Nick Tronti. I mean, you would have to believe that Nick Tronti is going to be the guy. He was a three star recruit, actually signed with Indiana uh, coming out of high school, coming out of Nice. Um, excuse me, not nice. I always get it uh, mixed up. Nice is Tim Tebow's old high school. He's from Pontroverde beach high school, which is the same hometown as Tim Tebow, but did not go to nice. Let me get that correct there. But, um, yeah, Nick Tronti is going to be the guy, definitely a different look than Chris Robinson and Nick's played in a lot of games. He he appeared in 11 games last year, but has kind of like a specialized package as a runner, passer, up his numbers here really quick ran for 239 yards and two touchdowns last year. In addition to going excuse me, 17 of 22 for a buck, 82 touchdowns, one interception. So not much, by the way, of passing yards or, you know, really passing prowess as far as 2019 goes, but definitely a guy can use his legs. And where I think if you're an FAU fan or a Conference USA fan whose team is scheduled to take on the Owls, i.e. the East, for example, minus ODU, you have to really look at Willie Taggart's history at USF. I wrote about this when I wrote the the story that Chris had been removed from the team. I think you might see the implementation of the Gulf Coast offense that he ran at USF with Quentin Flowers and Marlon Mack to success. For those of you who are not familiar, Quentin Flowers was a complete stud, former USF quarterback, spent some time with Cincinnati as a running back, but I believe he had two years. I knew he had one year of over 1,400 yards rushing. I want to say he had back-to-back years of 1,000 yards rushing while throwing for over 2,500 yards. So don't confuse the Gulf Coast with maybe like a triple option type deal. You know, It it was not a situation where Quentin Flowers was not throwing the football. They absolutely will throw the football with the weapons they have as TJ Chase and Aaron Young and guys like that, John Mitchell. The ball will be in the air. But I would absolutely look for Nick Tronti should there be a football season to be a dual threat and he's someone who uh, might not necessarily have the 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 rushing prowess of of Quentin Flowers I mean 1400 yards is a ton of yards but he'll definitely be someone who can use his legs I would expect Nick Tronti to be the number one QB and go from there and we do know this Joe the QB situation may be in flux, but they've got a litany of running backs. B.J. Emmons, the former Alabama product, I believe was a five-star prospect coming out of high school. Malcolm Davidson rushed for seven yards of carry last year. If he got a bulk of the carries last year, he would have run for over a 1,000 yards. Larry McCammon, the third, a highly touted prospect out of Alabama, played last year as a true freshman. So they've got a, a slew of backs. So, so the, the passing game might be an issue, at least getting that going, but – By all means, they can turn in and hand it to Davidson, McCammon, or Emmons, and they'll be fine. So I'm someone who, in the immediate aftermath of Chris Robinson not being with the team, I'm not writing off FAU just yet. Uh, Quick note that I I don't think I mentioned uh, ahead of time, Achilles Leroy is also not on the roster. Again, his name has been removed, but from what I'm being told, he will be added sooner than later. So if they they get Kiki back, I still think they can contend. Now, if you lose Robinson and and Leroy, different story, but – Long and short of it is uh, don't write off FAU just yet
0: all solid points plenty of weapons uh left for willie Taggart to make something out of this season should we should we get one but um as of now it sounds like we are at least as far as USA is concerned uh earlier this week cusa approved a 2020 schedule that includes eight conference games and up to four uh non-conference games obviously uh old dominion is no longer a part of that scenario but um Conference play will kick for some teams on September 12th uh, with the league championship game set for uh, December 5th. And uh, but it can be moved to later Um, league hasn't revealed specific matchups and dates for games just yet. That's according to uh, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. Want to make sure we give him credit for that information. Um, So far, Marshall was set to be the first CUSA team to open the season um, against ECU, but that has since uh, been moved to September. Uh, It was supposed to be on the 29th of August. Um, Still figuring out testing protocols for them, uh, so should be interesting there. Um, But uh, as we kind of look at some of the teams that have released notes about their schedule and that sort of thing, um, let's start with this one, Eric. MTSU... Potentially playing Troy twice. Um, so if you go back and look at like you know the olden days of college football when the helmets were leather and you know all that sort of thing, it wasn't that uncommon for teams to play each other twice in a season. But now you never you you never see it. You know. Um, so I think that's going to be a really interesting note um, if we if the season does go ahead for the Blue Raiders here
1: listen i don't think there may be a team in conference usa that's had their schedule ravaged as much as middle tennessee state i actually read a note from joe spears of the dnj um who covers middle tennessee state up there in murfreesboro who said that head coach rick stock still actually in his in his media availability today so that he found out mid-practice that uh one of their games had been moved and that they would add army to the schedule so that's put it to you this way. I, and I, I can't remember who I want to say it was Pat 40, who said the tweet, uh, who sent out the tweet, but they began the year prepping for Duke, I believe. And then now end up with army. And you're talking about two totally different types of offenses. And that's just something that, you know, I, anyone can tell you, you know, if you've watched Georgia Southern football, shout out to the Sunbelt podcast. Um, when you got to face a triple option team or a team that's, you know, going to kind of hit you with a funky offense that you don't see that can be difficult, to, difficult to prep for, excuse me. So MTSU's really had their schedule ravaged. Now talking about the situation where they may potentially pay play Troy twice. I think it's kind of fun if that does hold up just, you know, in college football, we think it's so out of the ordinary, but in the NFL it's divisional games, right? You know, you, you play your divisional rivals twice. So I think that can be kind of fun if it does hold up to be completely honest with you, I wouldn't mind seeing other teams take this approach should they lose an opponent here or there with the way things may shake out. I just think, and and by this is all speculation on my part, I'm not, you know, claiming to have any inside information. I would think if you play a team twice and maybe you do it as a home-and-home, I'm going to assume you're going to do it as a home-and-home and and not play, you know, at the same venue twice, maybe you can almost, and, you know, I'll probably get roasted for this, but maybe you can almost kind of, Alleviate some of the testing. Um, I don't want to say testing protocols, but at least you're dealing with the same sets of players. And, you know, I'm just assuming in some form or fashion, you can streamline the process if you play the same opponent twice. So I would not be upset at all if other CUSA teams who may lose an opponent now that ODU is no longer part of the fall schedule would choose to play a team twice. Like, you know, I mean, let's just look at it from a geographical sense. If you want to take out the travel, I would not have an issue of FAU and FIU play twice. I, you know, I, I don't think that'd be, if we get some of those Texas teams to play twice, of course they wouldn't be affected by ODU, but I, I just think, you know, it, it could have more positives than the negatives in my opinion. It's an
0: interesting point. Um, then of course, in staying in the East, we have uh, Charlotte and I, I believe they're scheduled to play North Carolina and potentially Wake Forest as well. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. The North Carolina game is already set up. Uh, We've even got some details as far as North Carolina cutting a check. I believe Charlotte's scheduled to receive $400,000 for the trip to Chapel Hill. Great pickup for them, to be completely honest. That, if my memory serves me correct, was the game that my beloved alma mater UCF was scheduled to play. Uh, the Knights can't catch a break, whether it's hurricanes or you know anything out of their control. They will never be able to play an ACC opponent. You know They've been trying to do that for a couple of years now. But yeah, I believe that was the game that UCF was scheduled to play. Instead, they were able to fill that with Charlotte. So good get for them. That's going to be on nine nineteen. Um, Yeah, so that will happen. And then potentially Wake Forest. And I think... I don't know how you feel about it, Joe, but I'm a huge fan of interstate matchups. I think it would be great if, you know, the Charlottes play Duke and Wake Forest and North Carolina and so on and so forth. You cut down on travel, you cut down on your costs. And in a normal football year, you'd be able to say, hey, if you're, uh, you know, um, students and you want to make the travel, make make the the trip three hours or however far it is from Charlotte to Chapel Hill, and I, and I don't believe that's three hours. I think that's like an hour and change, or maybe two hours. Um, I know my guy, Tintin, who listens to the Csa podcast, he'll shoot me a DM and let me know exactly how far it is. But um, yeah, I, I, um, I am a huge fan of Interstate matchups, so I think it's, it's great for all parties involved. I am as well,
0: and I think this is also really good for Charlotte because I think until very recently, Charlotte was in a position where You look at their fan base and they already had them hooked from like a basketball perspective, but you would still have, you know, people within that fan base, at least, you know, from my experience speaking with people within the athletic department, they would still have fans who would say, like, oh, yeah, for everything except football, I'm a Charlotte fan, but for everything else, I, you know, I refer to Auburn or UNC or whatever it is. Um, so I think being able to, you know, take this step and, and play more in state schools is a really great step in the right direction for them. And, um, you know, really, I don't want to say lucky, but serendipitous, I guess, for them that they're able to schedule these matchups in the midst of everything going on with, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, we talked about USA is going to try and play a full schedule and, you know, as of this recording, so is the ACC. So that that really could not have worked out uh, better, at least from you know a money standpoint and from a uh, standpoint of growing their footprint within the state of North Carolina uh, for the 49ers. So that's going to be interesting. Um, and then, of course, with Old Dominion dropping out, we have FIU um losing that matchup but they are looking to replace that game with a matchup against the usf bulls um which could be interesting for you eric obviously you spend a lot of time covering the fiu side of things for udd but uh tampa native obviously very knowledgeable about the usf program uh what do you think of that potential matchup
1: I think it'd be great for me cuz I'm covering that game. It's a 6-mile drive from my house to Raymond James Stadium. So that'd be phenomenal. <laughs> that aside, um yeah, I mean, once again, when talking about those interstate matchups, I think that FIU-USF would be no disrespect to the old Dominion contingency listening to the podcast, but that does 10 times more for FIU and quite frankly for USF than the ODU matchup. You know, I, I just think FIU is a, they're going to recruit South Florida. But if you look at their last recruiting class, guys like AJ Mathis from Largo, Chance Coleman from my alma mater, Gaither High School, um, Eric Wilson Jr. from Armwood, these are all Tampa guys. And they've made a push, I believe tight ends coach Drew Davis, that's his area to recruit Tampa. They've made a push to really get into the Tampa area as far as recruiting. They've done really well. So if you're Jeff Scott and the Bulls, you want to kind of mark off your territory and say, hey, you can recruit South Florida all you want, but, you know, the Tampa Bay area is going to be ours. So if that matchup can take place, and once again, that's just, you know, kind of talks right now, nothing is for certain, but you get that matchup going. I think it's a great upgrade for FIU. Great job for, for USF and that program as well, that, you know, former FIU offensive line coach, Alan Mogridge is there on that staff. USF is looking to bounce back. They've had a couple down years after the, high part of the Charlie Strong era in which they were a 10-win team, you know, really kind of challenging UCF for the tops and the Americans. So um, should that happen? I mean, I think it'd be great. You know, um, should it happen it'd be a great, great, um, great addition for you, FIU. And just overall, again, you know, it's a really, it's a shame that with coronavirus, the fans won't be able to travel. As of now, I have not heard any um fan restrictions, but you know, you can't anticipate that there will be, anything more than maybe 10 or 15% occupancy at, at either stadium should that game take place. So kind of a shame that you won't get that aspect of it, but all in all, it would be fun.
0: For sure. So hopefully we can uh, at least find, uh, you know, some, some entertainment from watching games on stadium or watching games well on stadium, as well as ESPN, any other network that's going to show games this fall, but I meant to say just on television in general, but um, regardless, Teams that actually play in the fall, uh, it's going to be an interesting situation to see how that shakes out, as we've said many times. But um, switching gears for a minute here, uh, FCS has already said that they're going to at least attempt to play uh, spring football. Uh, Ivy League, of course, led the charge in that regard, and, and the rest of that league soon followed. And, you know, I guess there's the potential to see. Um, if some of these FBS leagues can try and do the same thing, I believe that was part of the discussion when uh, the Mac already said that they would not be playing football in the fall. Um, And, you know, Eric, I know for, for you and I, this is basically rehashing an old conversation, but um, for the audience, they didn't get to hear that. Um, Pulling off spring football at the same time as other spring sports, when you talk about pulling off a full football season, rather, for FCS schools in particular, it's going to be a monumental task. When you look at a lot of these P5 athletic departments, obviously, they have more resources than an FCS department. But I don't think people really realize the scale to which that is true. I mean, in in many cases, when you talk about the just the number of staffers that you have within the athletic department to do things like, you know, keep score, uh, be like a spotter, be, uh, you know, marketing, all that stuff. And, and obviously, some of that gets uh, alleviated if there's no fans, but still, you're talking about there's like four staffers in some cases for every uh, one when you compare uh, like a P5 to an FCS team. So, I have no idea how they're going to pull that off. I mean, coming from the world of small college athletics, you had people, you know, running like, you know, madmen from one event to another just to try to keep up with everything that needed to get done, and there's so much that goes into putting on a college football game at this level it just blows my mind to, to think about how they're going to do that. And I have nothing but, but sympathy for the, the staffers within these college athletic departments who are, are faced with that task now.
1: You and I both have spent time working in the communication side of college athletics. And it's funny, I saw a tweet from a UCF fan who was saying that, Oh, it would be great if football gets moved to the spring, try to schedule as many double headers as possible where you have football during the day, And other athletic events at night, or vice versa. And you know, I try not to comment on those things, but I I just said, you know, hey, that'd be great for the fans. It'd be awesome, but for the staff, a lot of these people cannot be in two places at once. (laughs) It's physically impossible, and there's just not enough staff. As you mentioned, I will give you an example. I wrote a story last year this time about James Morgan, and I had to contact the University of Southern California to talk to his old head coach in Bowling Green, Mike Jinks. USC has four staffers for football. Now, uh, forgive me uh, for FIU. I'm going to shout out everybody. And if I miss someone, you know, you can bust my uh, chops on the back end. At FIU, you've got Tyson Rogers, Tyler Brain, Daniel Torres, uh, Diana Padilla, Christina Anderson. I think that's five. (laughs) I I believe I just named all five people who are accountable for every single varsity sport at FIU. So when you compare that in relation to the for staffers just for football you, you know that's just not for and like you said joe for a football game itself that's already the amount of staff it takes that's already a long day and i'm not even talking about you know the the guys who uh who will you know shoot video and, and pictures and things for the websites you know the uh, chris santiago's the world and everyone else i mean you just don't have enough people at the g5 level so we've established that right and we rehashed that discussion from before I want to throw this at you, Joe. It's something I think is interesting to kind of bring a new spin on it, something that maybe fans, if you don't take sympathy with the poor staffers, I think maybe you can take sympathy with this. If you move football to spring, you have an issue, right? A potential issue, which is scholarships, right? So you have, if you're going to grant everyone another year of eligibility, you still have to account for the incoming freshmen coming in doesn't sound like a major issue, right? You just sprinkle a little you know, fairy dust on it and it's fine. If you're a G5 school who <laughs> a lot of G5 schools already are, are dealing with budgetary issues, you're trying to tack on another 20 to 25 scholarships and that's not accounting for what you normally would have lost, which would be 20 to 30 per year. Can schools afford that? I don't know. I think that's a legitimate concern. So if you don't, you know, empathize with the the actual staffing part of it, empathize with the fact that your school of your choice might not be able to afford the, I mean, what is a scholarship, you know, 30, 40, 50 grand. I just don't see the money doesn't add up there unless you're going to start cutting more sports and more people. So that's just another aspect I'll throw at it, Joe.
0: Right. I mean, this is such a strange situation. And like you said, the math just doesn't really Add up, uh, for this to happen. So if they can make it, you know, happen uh, at least for this one upcoming spring, uh, more power to them, but if the divide between P five teams and G five teams and FCS teams, wasn't already evident to you it will be come april or may of 2021 when you know in theory this football season would wrap up um so <laughs> in that case it, it's it's gonna be an interesting eight months or so and uh truly this is a football season that uh you know pretty much nobody at least not on not on this show right now and i would bet nobody listening has experienced before because i doubt a lot of you were alive uh in world war ii when uh pearl harbor happened and they have to move the rose bowl and and all that jazz but uh regardless um thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the underdog podcast we'll be back uh very soon to talk about uh more things regarding the upcoming uh college football season if we get one uh if you want to follow us on twitter i am at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore eric is at eric c henry underscore and of course uh at underdog dynasty um and check out underdogdynasty.com every day for more g5 football goodness uh happy football watching everybody stay safe out there